0: Welcome back, radio entrepreneurs, listeners, and fans, to part two of this FBA panel discussion. This is intended to be informational for all business owners, but especially family business owners, as we discuss transitioning a family business. A link to part one is in the description below, so head over there if you haven't seen that yet. I'll quickly introduce our panelists. We have Rich Hershon of Grey, Grey Grey. Stephen Wilchens of Wilchens, Cosentino, and Novins, and Aviva Sapers of Sapers & Wallach. I'll now hand it over to Jeffrey Davis, our moderator and host.
1: Well, I'm sure my first question is going to be appealing to all three of our uh, experts, because it's all going to relate to money. So these are uh, my three money experts. And, you know, it always amazes me how I get a different perspective on this one more than anything else. It's really how transparent should parents and family be in discussing transition about financial net worth and what the assets are? Because I, I see this debate, I see it even in my own home. Uh, are they mature enough to handle this? Are they responsible? Who do they tell? Who do they not tell? Uh, do they understand the equity? You know, parents so many times are working in a vacuum. Steve, I know uh, you've come across this a lot. Rich, I know you have. Aviva, I know you've been part of it and you've seen it also. So I'm going to ask all three of you to weigh in on this one. It's a big topic. You know, what do you share and when?
2: i feeling feeling like it depends on knowing your kids and knowing what they can and can't understand and what they're going to do with that information. Uh, and if it's just about the family business piece, it's certainly worth if if your business is not doing well, uh, a a child who's coming in should have some sense of what they're getting into. On the other hand, if it's doing very well um, and it's the major asset that a family owns, uh, there's a lot of conversation to be had there about how that might get distributed to different siblings, et cetera. The the kids in the business, the kids out of the business, which I'm sure you'll probably ask us later. But but, uh, I, I think that full disclosure is good as long as the kids are mature enough to handle it and you know what they're going to do with it.
3: Yeah, I, I kind of agree with Aviva. It depends on, on the kids. And I think it depends on what stage you're at in this process. If, um, you know, if the person's just coming into the business, depending on their role, they, they might not need to know exactly what's going on at the company and the finances, but as they advance, and if one day you're talking about this person taking over the company, uh, then certainly at that point, I think they need to understand the business and the finances. It's an important part of running the business. Um, but I think the personal finances of you know, the parents or the older generation are different than the business. I don't think um, necessarily the personal finances need to be shared. Unless, um, you know, to the extent that the family is comfortable doing that, I think it's fine, but I don't think it needs to be.
1: You know, this whole money issue tends to be, you know, I think a difficult issue that gets in the way of the whole discussion. Uh, not that the discussion isn't hard without it, but you know, I hear I hear comments about, you know, my parents have enough money. There's no reason for them to hold on to the equity. The children start making decisions about the parents, which I don't think is necessarily appropriate. You got to stay out of that stuff. But I also uh, know there's always been a topic of how much, let's say, I'll call it dad this time, how much should dad be getting paid during this transition? How much money should be flowing out? It, you know, how involved should, or what should the discussion be about this? Because parents usually have their own perception about how they control the financial part of their transition. And children start to think as they get empowered, I should be in control of this decision. And I think it's a point of resentment that I see that goes on between the two parties.
4: I I would agree with you Jeff and I think that I think each person should be compensated based on the performance. I don't think there should be entitlement in the sense because I found, started the business or built it up to X that I should still continue to get paid. Why? I think I think the value the business transcends Every decision with regards to what you should be compensated, in my opinion, and I think that the founding generation should understand that and pull back. Assuming the younger generation is performing, then they should be compensated an additional amount. And if that means they should be getting paid more more than the founding generation, if the performance is there, that only helps everyone. So I think that. Um, there should be some type of objective standards, not so much entitlement, entitlement in starting the business and entitlement that I was born into the business. So I think that both, you know, all generations need to understand that if we protect the business and we fairly compensate our people based on performance, we will all benefit
1: as time goes on. You know, Rich, a lot of times, uh, I'm sure parents come in, they're reviewing taxes. They don't even bring their children who are equity participants, and the children don't know. So you see it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know how forward you can be in terms of discussing these things with clients, but you see it from the other end from Steve, who's planning the legal documentation.
3: yeah, and you know with that, I think you know the compensation, an important piece to remember, is kind of the overall state plan and and what some of the goals are there. Um, with transferring wealth to the next generation, estate taxes and, and things like that. So I do think it's an important consideration when doing this is to get, you know, your estate attorney and your accountant as part of that to see, you know, someone may feel they're entitled or deserve or, you know, want to get paid fairly, but it may run counter to what they're trying to accomplish with an estate plan as well. So I think that's an important aspect to include.
2: One thing I would I would maybe ask both of you just and i'm not the one asking the questions but how do you mark how do you measure performance if you're not in sales or you're not doing who who judges on the performance because that gets to be a bit of a sticky wicket among siblings among generations etc
3: it's tough um you know it's hard to measure performance i think it's having goals um so if each person has goals set out at the beginning of the year the period that you're evaluating and then it's measuring how you you know, perform pursuant to those goals. Um, so, but I, I do think it's hard. I think having some, you know, outsiders outside of the family member, compensation experts or so on, uh, can be helpful in that regard. I mean, no.
4: you compare yourself to the industry, who, comparable industries of your competitors, but I think it's very important to have some objective standard. Because, yes, you may not be responsible for sales, but if you're the CEO of the company, you ultimately are responsible for the sales. Uh, So that if you're not doing well or the company is taking a turn or the market is taking a turn, how do you react to that and what happens? So, therefore, there should be standards. And, And the outside compensation consultants would be of help as well as your board.
1: Well, I, I, I'm not an attorney. I just play one on a daily basis as a consultant. And uh, uh, this is not a commercial for Steve, but I'm a big fan of corporate governance and rules and structure because too many private companies, and I would probably say over 90% do not have enough structure. And you can learn from public companies. They run their own world on a familiar model. It does not work, especially after a certain size, this familiar model for everything, you need to have a board, an outside board that's run by proper objective people, not just always the accountant and the attorney showing up for a a dinner. Uh, It should be run properly. There should be an operating agreement. There should be a a matrix uh, that set metrics for business that set goals and standards And the performance should be based upon business objectives, not based upon family needs. And the more you objectify the business to business and industry standards, I think the better things will run in a predictable way and you'll get into less fights. The more you take away all those rules and standards, the more you leave it up to subjective feelings and emotions and people start fighting with each other. I agree with you. Well, I would assume you do because that's, you make a living, you know, putting a lot of these <laughs> documents in place and, you know, and I don't know if it's out of context, but let's talk a little bit about the documentation because I think that's important. You know, it's a hard, you know, you and I once went through a case, Steve, where it took almost a year to get, you know, some documents in place that were what I would consider something that could have been done within weeks, Uh You know, uh, I think documentation is important. How do you bring up the discussion, especially to an old family that's, you know, been run on a familiar model and it's been sort of dad or mom's way? And now you're saying this isn't the way it should be moving forward. How do you get that moving? It's a hard discussion.
4: Well, Jeff, you did a good job convincing the first generation and to see that formality is important, especially that other people are coming into the business. But the younger generation, and therefore, having a shareholder agreement, having employment agreements are very important, because the employment agreements for the next generation as well uh, delineates what what the responsibilities are for the employees, what what they uh, are, what their objectives are, and so there is some standard and baseline to review what they've done and what they've assumed this responsibility rather than such a gray area where the next generation is running the business. Well, what does that mean? Does one do marketing? Does one do accounting? Does one do um, the internet, et cetera? So I think it's very important to have employment agreements, a shareholder agreement, maybe a code of conduct for the family to have, to have an understanding and to meet regularly with this, with this documentation, because just having the documentation is one thing, but making sure it's observed and adhered to
1: is even more important. Uh, Any thoughts from either of you on that one? I don't know if you had any of these things. I think you did.
2: I guess I'm putting on my advisor hat for a second. Uh, Having buy sell agreements in any sort of succession plan, because it's not always happening when someone's alive. The accidents happen, heart attacks happen, and then the the founder may pass away. And having certain documents, structures, even a preliminary idea of who's going to run the company and how that's going to happen is worth having, even if it gets amended or changed over time. But if someone dies or becomes disabled, those things should be in writing because it's important that, that it doesn't become just one big chaos or one chaotic situation when the founder's gone. So right. both at, uh, during their life and then if an unforeseen circumstance happens as well.
4: Right. The corporate governance documents should be tweaked every mm-hmm. few years, as well as the estate planning documents, and they should be linked together. They, they need to be reviewed together and, fairly regularly reviewed and tested to make sure that it fits where they
1: are at that point, the family and the company. Rich, I guess you see it also at the end result, and that is the tax returns when things are done properly and organized. And I'm, I'm sure it's a lot nicer when these things are planned out.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with everything that's that's been said of, you know, the governance and having things documented and having you know kind of the rules of engagement here and just having them in writing so everyone can follow them. It makes things easier for everyone. And as Aviva said, unexpected things happen. Um, and so being prepared for that, you know, a lot of we focused on this starting the conversation and doing this period, a nice transitioning we've done over time. They don't always work that way. And sometimes you wake up one morning and all of a sudden it's transition time and and be prepared for that. So you know I think having all these things in place is, is a really good idea.
1: I'm going to ask another question before we go, and I think it's this is a tough one because you know hindsight is 2020. Do you always give equity to family members if they're not in the business? How do you decide that one? Now, Viva, you have siblings who are not in the business, and Steve, you've seen both sides. I have too, and I think Rich has also. So I'll step on that one.
4: So I think that to the extent on what size the estate is, and to the extent you can compensate and provide bequests to the non-family members, to the family members that are not in the business, Uh, it would probably be better to provide most of the, you know, the non-business assets to those people who are not working in the business. At the same time, there's, there's thought that if the business is large enough that they've, people that are not in the business, the family that's not in the business should get some compensation. should get some equity of some sort, a small amount potentially, um, because if the value continues to grow, if it's a fast moving business or a tremendous cash generation, um, because the problem is a lot of times the family can't equalize the value of the, the estate because the business is the largest estate asset for the most part so primarily the the children or family members that are involved with the business should get the bulk of the the business equity but i but i'm not opposed to having non you know the other family members get a small piece my
2: experience is if you can avoid it avoid it Uh, There's a wonderful tool we use called life insurance that helps be the the great equalizer of family assets. And you can even use monies from the company to help buy the insurance that the other kids benefit from. Um, Not always the case, but but oftentimes it's a great way to provide other assets that the parents may not have to give to other siblings. But I agree. If you can avoid it, you avoid it. Uh, If there are ways, if there's real estate in the business, but the business is a different entity, then sometimes having other members of the family own part of the real estate, that's being run in essence as its own asset in its own business with certain agreements and leases and all that stuff in place. Uh, But I find you have better harmony family wise when there aren't siblings on the payroll that don't work there and other types of things that happen where they think they have a say in how to run the company that they've had no part of. Uh, And I find that that causes a lot more angst than some good planning.
4: Right, I wanna just provide some clarity to that. Uh, I think Aviva, you've said some good points, but there's, you know, depending on the size of the business and depending on the type of business will also depend on whether there should be equity to members That are working in the business or members that are uh, of the family that are not working in the business. But also having a piece of real estate that leases to the business, I mean, they're linked. I mean, so to the extent that the business wants a 10-year low, low low-value lease, the 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 shareholder, the owners of the LLC that own the building, they're going to, you know, have their value depressed because they're supporting the business, but they don't own the business. So it's not as easy as one thinks. So it depends on the type of business, depends on what the value of the business will depend. And, and I think life insurance is a good way to so, you know, to give family members that are not in the business additional value. The only issue is, is the person insurable? You know, they should be talking to Aviva way before they they have the conditions, uh, before the, you know, they're 70 years old or 80 years old, and they're trying to equalize the estate at that point. If they spoke to Aviva 30 years ago, and then as they continue to get older and the business grows, the equalization is a lot easier to deal with. So again,
1: it's planning, planning for the future. I like the planning. I like the concept of depends uh, because I think it really works. I mean, I earlier in my career, I was an employee at large family company, Johnson & Johnson. The Johnsons have equity and they have a channel to work in the business if they can perform. But I also like in these smaller privately owned businesses that if you're not working in the company, you really don't want to be able to interfere with the company. And, And I think that that's an important concept. It's if you work and you perform, uh, and it's a performance-based system, then you should have participation. But if you're not working and you're not performing, there are other ways to compensate you that it can be equitable within the family. Right. So I think that that was uh, a, good, a good segment. Uh, Nathan?
0: Thanks, Jeffrey. And thanks, Aviva, Rich, and Stephen. I uh, want to remind everyone that this was just part two of three. So there is another segment yet to come. So be sure to subscribe to Radio Entrepreneurs and click the bell button to get notifications when the next segment goes live, as well as all of our other recordings. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Google Play, many other podcast platforms as well. And we want to catch you in the next segment after this short break.